0: Hey guys, um, you've got your Bibles, Psalm 13, I think I've said that already. And so this week, what I, I've been looking at and doing a bit of reading on, on rainbows, as you do, um, now rainbows appear when a storm is in retreat. And so what happens with rainbows, they appear and it's basically, it's when the sunlight is beginning to penetrate the rain clouds. And a rainbow, therefore, there's a sign that naturally conveys hope. It conveys that the storm is passing, the brightness is coming, the darkness is giving way to light. And we're going to see that same thing played out through lament as we walk through it today. As we come to what is the the destination of lament, we're going to see the rays of of hope breaking through, that the storm is passing, the darkness is indeed giving way to light. So let me read it for us and then we'll pray. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your grace. Father, we thank you that you're here, you're present, you are amongst us. Father, you are here with your children as we gather in your name, united by your spirit, through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are here. Help us to believe it. By your Spirit, encourage us this morning. Lift up our eyes. Help us to see the wonderful truth, the wonderful reality of what you have done for us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so the past three weeks, we've been looking at lament. And we've looked at this because, obviously, for the past couple of years, the past 18 months, we've been going through a tough time as a church and also as as a culture. And this whole COVID and and isolation and lockdown and pandemic and all these things that have been brought up basically have raised up all over the questions, have changed the way that people think and engage and socialize and relate. So as a church, we decided to look at lament, biblical lament, what is it? How can we process what's gone on? And lament as we've looked at it through the the past three weeks has has been a heart posture and it's been a process that we walk through. So lament is, is active, it moves directionally. So in the first week, if you can remember, back if you were here with us, in the first week, we we looked to turn to God. So we used Psalm 77 and we looked at the first place that we turn, the first direction that we turn is to God. And that's the foundation of all that comes after. So God is real. God is a creator. He is all-powerful. He is eternal. He loves us. He knows us. And He invites us to come to Him. And so the start of lament, we turn to God. If it's not turning to God, it's not biblical lament. And then the second week, we look at complaint, using Psalm 10, that, that we bring all of our pain, all of our brokenness, all of our questions, all of our suffering, not our, our selfish desires. And We don't do it in a destructive way, but we honestly speak to God who sees all things, a God who knows all things, who knows all of our fears, He knows all of our doubts, He knows all of our anxieties. And then last week, we, we came to asking God, bringing our requests to God, taking our request to the right place. And we are to move through this process. We've seen that through this this short series. That that we have to engage right. Because there is a destination. A right destination to lament. And that right destination is trust in God. And you're going to see that. I've just read for us Psalm 13. You see this as we walk through Psalm 13. It's written by David. And David at this point in his life when when he writes this. He's obviously struggling. You can pick up just from reading the psalm that he's being attacked. He feels weak. It almost seems like he's near death. That's what I pick up from it. Then he needs help. And what do we see him do? First of all, we see him follow that process turn, complain, ask, and trust. We're going to see. So, first of all, we see him turn to God. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 6. He, he cries out, Oh Lord, Oh Lord, Oh Lord. So, Oh Lord is at the start. Oh Lord is at the end. It's underneath, it's around, it's over it, and it's through it. It's couched all in relationship with God, it's, it's, it's absorbed by relationship with God. And then we see him complain to God. Verse 1 to 2, four times, how long, how long, how long, how long? David is feeling like he's just not able to endure anymore. And what he does, he, he seems to move from God's seeming indifference. I mean, Dave, David knows that God can't forget, so he's crying Oh, what's happening? What's going on, God? And he moves from God's seeming indifference to, to personal anguish. That word counsel, it's, it's got that, that underneath it, it's the kind of the idea of anxious concerns, emotions, fear, and, and worry. And that sorrow in the heart is actually agony in his mind. It's a mental health, it's a mental anguish. His, his mind whirling, his wrestling internally. And then we see in verse 3 to 4, we see that he asks God. He's basically saying in verse 3 to 4, But look at me, answer me, notice me, I'm near death. My enemy is victorious over me because I'm yours. I'm walking in faith. David is literally burning his soul. He's in honesty and vulnerability bringing it all to God. He's laying it all out. But now what? So he's walked through this process. Now what? He's turned, complained, and he's asked, what does he do now? Does he sit back? Does he wallow in it? Does he go back over it? Does he indulge in it? Does he look at how he's a victim in all of this? No, what we see Is David step forward into trust. Verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read this a a few times today because there's so much here. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David chooses to trust. He chooses to take that final step of lament. See, I think we can often stop short here, can't we? But this is a call today to step forward in trust. To actually bring lament to its proper conclusion. And you see this and you see the flow of this psalm. It's, it's not that David's circumstances have, have all of a sudden gotten better. Verse 5 starts with but. But, however, yet. These words are all over the lament psalms. And they're all over the lament songs because it's a choice to trust despite what the circumstances can lead us to believe about God. So in light of that, the first question is, what is trust? What is trust? Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Okay, trust is choosing to believe in someone or something, their truth, their ability, and their reliability. So trusting in God is choosing to believe God's truth, God's ability, God's reliability. And we do it in our weakness. We do it in our vulnerability, our suffering, our doubt, our fear, our questions. We choose to believe God's truth, God's ability, God's reliability. Even when we can't see clearly, even when we don't understand, even when we don't agree with what we see in front of us and the way that we think God is dealing with it. We have to trust that God is real, that He loves us, that He hears us that God is moving and active, that God sees clearly. And trust, it's not static in the sense of we just do it once. We all suffer trials, we all suffer temptations. And lament, what it is, is a process that leads us through the wilderness of our pain, suffering, fear, and anxieties to trust again and again and again and again. And trust involves stepping forward in faith, choosing to believe in God's truth, ability, and reliability. not just passively sitting it's not just passively waiting for that future deliverance one of the people who commented commented on this they said our spiritual posture is one of active patience that's a really helpful phrase folks folks active patience the psalms use the phrase a lot waiting on the lord in fact the psalms are full of that phrase full of waiting and let's be honest it's one of the hardest things to do isn't it it's specifically difficult for us right now at this moment in time when everything is quick, quick, and quicker. It's immediate. I want it ready now. I want it ready yesterday. You can order on Amazon and have it here in a few hours. We hate waiting. It was my birthday two weeks ago and, and four cards arrived late, four days late. I was, I was amazed. I'm like, what's all this about? Still waiting for all of your cards, by the way, but that's fine. But what if waiting, folks, trustful, active waiting was good for us what if trustful active waiting was actually the place where growth happens because I think for us that probably requires a change in our perception our goal I think in a lot of life can be to get out of the waiting for whatever we're waiting for but what if in certain situations and in this life I'm talking about yes Jesus coming back and all things will be made new and perfect we know that I'm talking right here right now what if waiting is the point What if waiting builds our trust, our faith? What if waiting brings us closer in our relationship to God? What if we were not to seek to rush out of the waiting? A few years ago, I went through some difficulties and and went and chatted to a pastor in another city. And he used this phrase which stuck with me, so helpful. He said this, don't rush out of the place that God has you in. Don't rush out of the place that God has you in. So the question is, what has God shown you in this? What is God showing you in all of this? Maybe there is a deeper point, a deeper purpose, a deeper plan that you can't see. So trust trust is choosing to believe God, his truth, his ability, and his reliability. Okay, so now what is trust is sorted. Why trust God? What reasons do we have for trusting God? What reasons do we have for trusting his truth, his ability, his reliability? So first of all, we trust because of the truth of who God is, verse 5. David says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. God is the God of steadfast love. This is covenantal language that God reveals himself to his people throughout his word. In the Old Testament and the New, you see this language. And David is actually taking this phrase, steadfast love, from Exodus 34, verse 6 it is. And in Exodus, what you find is God is revealing himself to his people. He's revealing his character and he's showing himself. He's telling the people that he is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He isn't just a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He's a God of abounding steadfast love and abounding faithfulness. And that's the truth. We need to hear that the God himself, if he is God, he reveals his character to us. He tells us who he is. He tells us what he is like. We don't get to take our circumstances and situation and look at God through the lens of them and say, no, this is what you are like. God himself reveals who he is. And he reveals himself as loving, merciful, gracious, compassionate, even when our circumstances don't point that way or don't seem to point that way. And David here is reminding himself of this. David here is choosing to trust what God reveals himself about himself in his word. And we too, folks, Cornerstone Church, we are called to trust what God reveals himself about himself in his word. Second of all, we choose to believe because of God's ability. I was reading this week about um, something called root bridges in India. I read some weird stuff. I do apologize, but reading about these root bridges in India. And what these root bridges are, basically you've got these communities that live on the side of the mountains in India by the sea. And they face the monsoon every year. And what happens in the monsoon, the, the winds and the rain drive in off the sea. And it's these huge storms, so it gets massive amounts of heavy rain and the winds drive in. And what happens, it fills up all, all the rivers. And the rivers then, they overflow and they surge down the valleys, valleys and they cause havoc and they cause chaos and what the villagers do because they need to get around the mountains and around the valleys what they do is they actually build bridges and they build bridges with whatever material they can get their hands on anything they have and they build these bridges but the bridges are never strong enough to actually withstand the storm surges so each year these bridges they collapse and they have to rebuild them and they go through these cycles of rebuild and collapsing and then they discovered that there was a way that they could build bridges that withstand the storms and what they would do it's fascinating is that the the slopes are really steep so some of the 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 roots of the trees would be exposed so what they would do they would take the roots of the trees which would expose because of the steep hill and they would then take them and they would place them over and across the valleys they would wind them together to the other side and over 10 to 15 years they would form together and form this root bridge that would take it would take shape it would grow in strength it would grow itself to the point that you could actually carry whatever you needed to over them. They're up on the screen if you want to see what one looks like. And they were strong. And what they discovered as they went through life, that these root bridges could withstand the most severe, the worst storm surges. Nothing would remove them. And these root bridges, they would be useful for hundreds, hundreds of years, four to five hundred years. Basically, as long as the tree was healthy, as long as the tree was alive, there would be life in the root and it would stand it could be trusted. So the life in the tree kept it strong, kept it able to, be, able to hold. And so the people would be able to walk across the bridge no matter the storm. They knew that they could trust the bridge to hold because it was alive. And it would grow stronger every year. So each passing storm, that bridge would grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Folks, we can step forward in faith. We can trust God. We will make it through. Why? Because God has the ability to take us through. No matter what the storm is, no matter how bad it gets, and I know it's bad for some of you in here this morning, God has the ability to take us through because He is God. See, what we do, we, we, we put our trust in all the wrong things. We're kind of building those bridges from wherever we can get our hands on. And what happens when the storms of life come? Death, grief, cancer, Infertility, loneliness. Nothing that life can offer. Nothing that life says, trust this, will be able to take you through, will stand up. Nothing. It will be washed away. But God is all powerful. God never changes. God is eternal. But how do we how do we keep trusting? This is really difficult when you feel vulnerable and when you feel that life is throwing all these things at you. How do you Keep trusting in weakness and vulnerability. It's so difficult. How do we get through these storms? God will keep us trusting. You see, if we are in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, he who is life pours life to us. He who is life keeps us. He who is life keeps us close, protects us through these storms. Psalm 125 Says this that those who trust in God are like a mountain, they can't be moved. Psalm 121, five times in just a few short verses, uses the word keep. It says, You will be kept. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep you going out and you're going in. We trust God because God will keep us trusting. If you have no strength, look to Him. So look to Him when you're scared and weary. Look to Him when you're isolated and alone. Look to Him in the dark of the night. Look to Him when life just feels like it's spiraling out of control and there's nowhere else to turn because God never dies. God never sleeps. God never lets go. God is everlasting. He is eternally strong, infinitely powerful, and He will help us to walk in trust. And with each passing year, our faith, through each storm, grows stronger. And it grows stronger as we walk in dependence on Him. Knitted together by God. And we choose to believe because of God's reliability. Because what God has, don't look at verse 5, our experience of God. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. God has proven himself many times. God always comes through for David. David. David is clinging in trust to what God has done in the past. See, we all have this, don't we? We all have this. We can all look back back on what God has done. And we can think back to the ultimate point of salvation, but also every other part of our existence. Our past experience of God's grace helps us to walk through the pain and the brokenness of now. So what that means, folks, is that we don't grow out of trusting God. We grow into trusting God. And our life is one of continually trusting God. And we choose to believe because of God's reliability. Because of how God has dealt with us. Verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with us. David, he knows God loves him. He knows that God answers prayer. He knows that God sees him. He knows that God notices him. I've been um, reading some poems this week. I've, since my sabbatical, I've been getting into all kinds of different readings. And I don't understand loads of poems, but I'm enjoying reading them. And these poems that I've been reading, it's by a husband and a wife, two, two poets. And it's a love poem. It's by a guy called Matthew Alsman and his wife, Vivi Francis. And this is the husband's poem. It is a love poem to his wife. And it's, it's really interesting. As you read, it says this. So here's what I've got. I've just taken a few snippets of the poem. This is not the whole poem. So here's what I've got, the reasons why our marriage might work. Because you yell at your keys when you lose them and laugh loudly at your own jokes. You have soft hands. Because when we moved, the contents of what you packed were written inside the boxes. Because you think swans are overrated, and kind of stupid. Because you drove me to the train station. You drove me to Minneapolis. You drove me to Providence. Because you underline everything you read and circle the things you think are important and put stars next to the things you think I should think are important. I don't know what you notice is going on there, but they're both the same, the way that they write these poems to each other and their experience in love, how they experience in love is is as noticing. Did you see that? They, They experience the love of each other as noticing. And they both write this. The love is experienced in, in noticing, but also being noticed, and then noticing, being noticed, that reciprocation as they give attention one to another. Often we can feel unloved, can't we? And this is not just, I know, there are many people in this room who are married. And in marriages we can feel unloved. And that can pour into maybe not feeling noticed or valued. But also there are many people who aren't. Married here, and you feel the same thing. You're like, oh, who notices me? Am I valued? That's the wonderful truth about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you, God notices you. Let me just say that again God notices you. Is this just some bloke writing about his wife? Yes, it's beautiful. But God himself, the God of the universe, eternal and infinite, notices you. believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he notices you. He notices everything about you. And he doesn't just notice you. When he looks at you in the way that he notices you, he takes delight in you. That's what the Bible says. In Christ, God himself, God your Father, delights in you. He values you. He takes pleasure in you. You. Do you believe that today? Do you? Do you believe that God has just forgotten you or switched off from you or turned away from you? I'm asking you to choose to trust God. He looks at you. More love than you've ever experienced because of what he has done in Christ. God notices you. God takes pleasure in you. And God has a great affection for you. That's what's being said here in verse 6 when He's dealt bountifully with you. Just listen for a moment. If you're doubting any of this, let me just explain this of how God has proven His love for you in His Word. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John three verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I just love that. And so we are. We are children of God. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, and He looks He looks at you with the Father's love. One John four, nine to ten, and this is the love of God. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the, the wrath averter, the wrath remover for our sins. What that means is you, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, are loved by God. He knows you. He sees you. You're forgiven. You're restored. You're redeemed. You are adopted into his family. His arms are around you. He is protecting you. He is keeping you. Don't ever doubt that. Turn to him. And if you are doubting that, ask him for help to trust in His Word, to trust in His affection, to trust in His grace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we trust God because He has dealt bountifully with us. And lastly, the fruit of trust. And we see that as we get to verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The fruit, the effect of trusting in God is A full heart that rejoices in salvation. I want you to hear that. It's not directionless. So so if you're struggling for joy, if you're struggling to connect things in your heart, connect things in your relationship with God, maybe you've forgotten what God has done for you. Maybe you've forgotten where God has brought you from. Maybe you've forgotten where God has brought you to. Maybe you've forgotten the, the wonderful blessings and riches that He gives you in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word salvation is key. He's rejoicing in something. He's rejoicing in salvation. See, trusting in God is connected to God's plan of redemption, of God's plan of bringing a people to Himself. God rescues His people. Even though we can't always see it, God is always working, always moving. The big story of God's plan is always moving forward. There is a point. There is a purpose. There is the direction for the whole of history and all of life. John 16 is a it's a really interesting passage. I was reading it just in my own private devotional this, this week. And it's really interesting for a number of reasons. So John 13 through to John 17 is, a, is a, it's a really intimate part of Scripture. It's just before Jesus dies and he's speaking to some of his closest friends just before he goes to die. And the first few chapters, he, he's kind of opening up the Trinitarian relationship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 17, you get this wonderful prayer where Jesus prays to the Father. And you've got this little bit just at the end of chapter 16, which I think gets moved over. And I've moved over all the time. And as I read it this week, it really jumped out at me. And he's talking to them about his death. So John chapter 16, verse 16 to 22. Let me read this. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one, no one will take your joy from you. Do, do you see that? See, Jesus dies and the whole world just collapses. Pain, sorrow, questions, fears, doubts, lamenting. But what does Jesus say? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Your sorrows going to turn to joy in a little while. I that's the tone that he uses. It's a comfort and an assurance. A little while. A little while. Both little. These days later we know that he rose from the dead. Imagine the, the joy that they must have felt at that point. But Jesus was calling them to trust in this waiting time. And what happens is he, he goes on. and You see this kind of pattern developing. He goes on to call them to trust again. We see that he's, he's with them for 40 days. Then he ascends. He goes up to be with the Father. And he sends his spirit. And he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, in a little while. I'm coming back. The psalmist's cry of how long in the pain, the brokenness, the questionness, the fear, the doubt is our cry. How long? A little while. Turn to me, trust. I'm coming back. We can walk through life rejoicing because of God. Sorry, folks. I have just lost a bit of vision in my eye. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we can walk through life rejoicing because of God. He is fulfilling His purpose. He is bringing a people to Himself. There is an end point. A little while, He's coming back. A little while, He's coming back. And the second fruit of trust is that we sing verse six of chapter of, of Psalm thirteen. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me that is an assurance of an overflow of joy that brings God's people to sing. A realization of how bountifully God has dealt with us. How much He loves us. It leads us to sing. To burst out in praise. So we sing, don't we? We sing in a spiritual battle. We sing to encourage one another. We sing to get strength. Hearing and singing truth sung convinces our emotions to change. See, that's how the process of lament, it helps us to arrive at the destination of praise. There's an old pastor called Charles Haddon Spurgeon and and I've used him a few times on these psalms and the lament psalms because he's a pastor from over 100 years ago. He, he he, He walked through a lot of pain and sorrow and so you can see when he writes about them, he doesn't just write about them, he's experiencing this pain, he understands it, he sees through it. He says this, David's heart was more out of tune than his harp. He began many of his psalms sighing, but ends up singing. See what Lament does, folks? It tunes and it retunes our heart. We move from sighing to singing. I said before, didn't I, that Lament is not not once, but it's over and over again. God is tuning our hearts. Michael and and Tom, who, who play the guitar up on the stage for us, Every Sunday when they come, before they start the practice, they're half past seven, they're up here and they're tuning their guitars. In the first service, Tom was doing it halfway through just before I spoke. So what happens is that that the heat will affect the the strings and the wood in different ways. The the cold will affect the strings and the wood in a different way. The moisture will affect the strings and the wood in different ways. So, So the environment affects it in different ways. So they have to tune the strings so that they can sing, so they can pray, so that we can worship together. And lament, as we've looked at it, is God's way of reshaping, retuning our desires, retuning our perceptions so that we can learn to lament the right things and take joy in the right things. See, in lament, God leads us through the wilderness, through despair, through brokenness, through pain, to high places of trust and praise. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, my prayer, as you hear this, whatever the storm it is that you are facing, however dark the clouds might be, how heavy the rain might seem, is that you see the trusting in God. It's how the rays of light start to break through, how the storm passes, that the darkness is it gives way to the light. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're on some level trying to navigate through the storms of life, what are you going to do? You will either be trying to right now or will have done. You'll have built bridges. And when the brokenness of this life, when the brokenness in this world hits, those bridges will just crumble. They will not withstand the storm. But God has made a way In Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Trust in His work. He has made it possible to get through. And not just to get through and not just to get by, but He's made it possible to have life, to have peace, to have joy, a fullness of joy. Even in the darkest of times, He has open arms and He says, come to me. And as believers here today, This is an opportunity to trust. And not just to trust in a passive way, but to step forward in trust through lament and the process as we look at it. Life is hard. Maybe you have faced some really, really dark days. Maybe right now you are here this morning, you're sat in, you're facing dark days even now, this week. Or maybe you're not the moment, but in the future, you're going to face the reality of the brokenness, the decay of this life. Folks, we can trust. We can choose to trust God. We have right, rational, life-giving reasons to trust God. Because of who God is. Because of what He has done. Because of what He is doing. Because of what He has promised to do. See, the way that He has made, the bridge that He has given us, it's sure, it's steady, it's immovable, it will withstand He will keep you. He has proven himself time and time and time again. And as we step forward in trust, our heart will overflow with joy. A depth of peace and joy and life that surpasses all understanding because of what God has done for us. Lament retunes our hearts to worship. I want to close today by reading from Romans 8. I want. I would like you to do as I read this, is firstly just maybe close your eyes and dip your head. If you want to read on the screen, that's fine. I'd like you to close your eyes and think of the storms and the struggles that you're walking through, the difficulties that you are facing, the circumstances and situations that are causing problems at the moment. And I want you to, to not just see this as just an end point of a sermon when the guy at the front does a little prayer and then walks off and the guys come up and do the music but actually to, like I said about the active patience trust being active to actually step into this bit to be active in this prayer time I want you to pray to God and ask that this, these verses ask that what I'm about to be will be a reality right in your heart right now that you will trust these words and not just trust them but that these words will penetrate right into the depths of your soul and transform your life because these words have life-giving power Talk this through, folks. We've talked about lament. And each week we've shown that the the lament psalms, they're to be sung, they're to be sung together. So we don't do this as individuals. We don't lament as individuals. We lament together as a church community. We lament together as a family. We lament together as brothers and sisters. So I'm going to read this again now. And this is what I would like you to do this time. I don't want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about the people around you. There are people that you know who are walking through pain and difficulty right now. There are people you know maybe in your gospel community, your family. There are people who you can look across in this church and you know the, the difficulty that they are facing. And I want you to, to bring those people's names to mind and their faces to mind. I'd ask you to pray as well, God, lay, lay these people on my heart. And what I would like you to do is I read this now again. It's as I read that I want you to be active in prayer for those people. Not just for yourself, but for those people. That they would trust this. That they would not just trust this, but truly experience what these verses, what God is showing us in these verses. Pray for them. Come before God. Bring their faces to mind, their names to mind, and take them before God as I read this. And ask that God would do a work by His Spirit in the depths of their souls to give them a comfort and an assurance and a peace that surpasses understanding. Can you do that? I'll give you some time just to sp- spend praying for them. What then? Shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Pray for them that they would experience that no. That assurance of that no. brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question is not why to turn to Him and trust. The question is why wouldn't we? Let me pray. Father, you are so gracious. Father, you are so good to us. Father, we Thank you that we are never alone. We thank you that you are always with us. We thank you that we've experienced your grace time and time and time again. Father, we believe, we do, but help us to believe. Father, we read these verses and we believe, but help us to believe them. Father, I pray that you would lay in our hearts, brothers and sisters in Christ around us right now in the first service in our gospel communities. move towards them, to pray for them, to walk alongside them, to put our arms around them to point them to Christ, to point them to the truth of you a God who will not let them be moved to point them to the, the security and assurance of what Christ has done, of who they are in him, Father we need we need help, help us I pray to trust you, help us I pray to keep trust in you, Father for those who are walking through incredible difficulties incredible pain turn their eyes to you I pray by your spirit Father for those who are lonely for those who are struggling feeling alone Father would your spirit be a comfort and an assurance and a a presence in their lives Father you speak of the peace that surpasses understanding that is ours in Christ Jesus I pray for those that are struggling feeling unnoticed or unloved or uncared for I pray that as they turn to you and see the wonderful truth of a father who loves them who cares for them who notices them who sees them and not just sees them and notices them far off but takes great pleasure takes great affection in Christ with the apple of your eye Father help us not to just walk away from that truth but to sit in it help us to believe it Father, help us to see that we've been adopted into your family, that we've been forgiven, that we are your children forever, loved, restored, put in a family. Father, help us to walk as a family in the forgiveness that you give us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and your spirit.